you did a sabbatical a few years back and you got to do what virtually no pastor ever gets to do. You got to go and listen to other preachers preach at lots of different churches. So, uh, what did you think of the preaching? Yeah, it was a wild experience. It was it was really nice. I mean, first of all, just being able to take sabbaticals a sweet deal. Um, and I was really grateful for it. I was mostly trying to go and be encouraged. I just wanted to be a Christian. I wasn't trying to learn a bunch from everyone else or, you know, do some undercover pastor thing. Just really trying to be ministered to. I do believe that uh, mature Christians are easily edified. So I think even in a sermon that's not great, you can always find something to be encouraged by. Um, that said, as I reflected on it, I went, gosh, I hope my preaching is not as underwhelming as this. And um, and I really left it with a desire to, to work on it. Um, you know, I didn't assume that I'm better than anyone else I listened to, but to go, man, I, I really want this to feel uh, compelling. It felt... What it felt like as I listened to a lot of the sermons was they felt like undercooked meals. It was like there was some really great stuff there that just didn't get developed. It felt like it didn't get much time. It felt like it didn't get enough attention. And so it just felt kind of half-baked. And I left that experience going, man, Lord, help me to figure out how to take that good stuff and take it all the way, cook it all the way through, also not overcook it. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a big conviction. And I, I walked away saying like a lot of preaching, not because people are bad, not because people are ungodly, but just because we're busy, we got a lot to do. Uh, if we're not careful, most preaching can be underwhelming and I don't want to do that. All right. This should be a good one. Let's talk about it. Hey, welcome to the Preaching Through Podcast. This is the conversation that takes place when pastors get together, encourage one another to grow, challenging each other's ability to communicate the gospel. Uh, every episode, we give you a seat at the table with ministry leaders exploring how to plan, prepare, and preach Jesus in the 21st century. You don't have to do ministry alone, and in fact, you shouldn't do ministry alone. We hope that we can be one voice of encouragement in your journey to become a better preacher, to communicate the gospel more effectively, and to be a great steward with the context and the calling that God has placed upon your life. And my name is Dave Shrine. This is my co-host, Luke Simmons. This is season two, episode two. We are uh, really excited to be back and uh, to be talking about all of the different things that pastors encounter as they are preaching through. Uh, season one, we talk all about preaching through nonfiction books, book of the Bible. Today, what we are talking through the ABCs or your ABCs, Luke, right? <laughs> yeah. ABCs stands for assumptions, beliefs, and convictions about preaching. So preaching through your ABCs. And, and to be clear, this is not everyone having to preach through mine, right? but it's to say every preacher, I think, needs to develop and articulate and write down, what are my assumptions about preaching? What are my beliefs about preaching? What are my convictions about preaching? For me, I put it in a top 10 list. There's a lot of things I think about preaching, but to actually write it down and to make it clear and to preach out of those assumptions, beliefs, and convictions. One of your most recent preaching coaching cohorts, which uh, you call the Preaching Lab, you had the people who went through that come up with their ABCs of preaching. And that was a super encouraging list. It, like, I like your list, but they had some things in there that I was like, man, that really should get some consideration. That was a really fun exercise. And it was really interesting to see that, yeah, your 
assumptions, beliefs, and convictions are not going to be the same and shouldn't necessarily be the same for other people as well. Yeah, every preacher is importantly, I think, trying to find their own voice. And um, I mean, in, on one hand, none of us wants to be original if we're going to be faithful, right? I, I don't want to come up with some new truth about Jesus. Right. Like that's how you create a cult. So I'm not, inter- <laughs> not, not interested in that. Uh, at the same time, finding your voice is to say, okay, how's God made me? What are my passions? What are my gifts? What are my, what's my voice? And part of how you identify and articulate that is through the ABCs. There's lots of good things we're going to get into this season. We're going to talk about weddings and funerals. We're going to talk about camps and conferences. We're going to talk about preaching through praise, criticism, and silence. Um, we actually had somebody reach out to you mm-hmm. and said, you know, hey, w- w- tell me, what, what, what did they say? Yeah, it's a guy I'm connected to on Twitter. His name's Mark, and he's about to start at a new church. And he's been in ministry for a while, but this is going to be his first time, I believe, as a senior pastor, at least new role at at the church he's going to. And so he said, man, I'd love to hear an episode on how would you preach through your first year at a new church or, you know, I know church planners who think the same thing. So maybe that's something we could talk about. That could be fun. I think this episode could lean into that idea of preaching through your first year at a new church or your first year in that role. It might be critical to develop some ABC. So why don't you go ahead and share what your ABCs are, and then maybe we'll pick out a couple to deep dive. Yeah, that sounds great. So I've, uh, like I said, have 10 of them. And yeah, Dave, whichever ones you think we need to go deeper on, that would be uh, great. Uh, in the videos that we recorded for the Preaching Lab, I go through all of these mm-hmm. and explain them in more depth. Um, but here I'll just blitz through them, and okay. then we can go deeper on a few if you want. So number one, Preaching is, is an essential tool for making disciples, for evangelizing and discipleship. Preaching is an essential tool for making disciples. Number two, preaching is the most significant tool for leading a local congregation. We actually talked about that last time. Last episode, yeah. As we were looking at a fall launch. Number three, preaching is one of the main ways God disciples the preacher. Number four, most life change happens in the moment. Number five, but a lot of life change happens over the long haul too. Okay, I'm making a note on that one right there. Okay, number six, people remember what the preacher emphasizes and gets excited about. Number seven, people want to be challenged, with his, which is both good and bad. Number eight, gospel preaching feels more like news than advice. Uh, that was probably one of my favorite things, just by the way, in the preaching lab is to have a number of guys who I know are preaching the scriptures and working faithfully to to have an experience of going, wow, I think I actually have some ways to grow in preaching the gospel. So it feels more like news. So mm-hmm. anyway, diversion. Number nine, preaching improves with reps and feedback. And number 10, most preaching is underwhelming. And that was what came out of that conversation or we had at the beginning yeah. related to my time on sabbatical. Yeah. Okay. So there they are. Those are my uh, ABCs. And uh, like I said, I I think it'd be valuable for any preacher to develop whatever they are. Um, You know, not only do they help you just have confidence in where you're coming from, but they deepen your conviction. They help you navigate criticism. Okay. This criticism, you know what? That's actually related to some of my core convictions about this. I should take that more to heart. Uh, And it helps you train other people. All right. Uh, I've got a few written down here. We'll come back and we'll talk about these. This is going to be fun. Okay. 
Your first 200 sermons are going to be terrible. This is something the late Tim Keller once said, meaning that no matter how hard you study, how many hours you put in, or how much you work on your preaching, there's this glass ceiling that can only be broken with more reps. So getting reps becomes your main way of growing as a preacher. But what happens when you surpass 200 sermons? What are you supposed to work on? Where should you try and grow? Or what muscles are you going to need to build to have a faithful and fruitful preaching ministry over the long haul? Well, the Preaching Lab is a curriculum developed by our co-host, Luke Simmons, that fills this gap and takes preachers beyond what they've learned in seminary or Bible college. This live experience provides preachers with meaningful feedback, insight, and instruction so that they can improve their preaching for a faithful and fruitful preaching ministry. During this 12-week preaching cohort, preachers learn of minor adjustments to their sermon habits that have a major impact on the preaching moment. Tweaks that nobody in your congregation has the ability or the confidence to give you. It's a deep inspection of your routines, habits, study, and preaching all so that you can become a better steward of the gift God has given you every single week. An audience. This is your opportunity to return the favor back to your congregation and preach a sermon that is faithful and fruitful. Visit faithfulandfruitful.com slash lab to learn more about the Preaching Lab live cohort as well as the Preaching Lab on-demand video curriculum. Now back to the podcast. Looking at these 10 ABCs, assumptions, beliefs, and convictions, knowing that we talked about, what was it, number two, Preaching is the most significant tool for leading a local congregation. Ordinarily, I'd probably want to go to that one, but we discussed that in episode one. So the first one that I want to deep dive in is preaching is one of the main ways God disciples the preacher. Why is that making the list and why is that true for you? This has been one of the real delights of preaching over the last 15 years for me is uh, to remember um, yeah, I'm a shepherd of a church, but I'm an under shepherd underneath the chief shepherd. And he's the one who walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's the one who leads me beside still waters. And he's the one that leads me into green grass. And he's the one whose rod and staff comfort me. Like before I'm a pastor, before I'm a preacher, I'm a Christian and I'm being discipled by and shepherded by and formed by and loved by the Lord himself. And so one of the things I'm just aware of is that, okay, if, if that's true, that he's discipling me, he's probably going to disciple me through the things that he's calling me to do, which I think is actually true of everybody, right? So Dave, you're in digital marketing, uh, and other people are in other careers. Some are teachers, some are nurses, some are stay-at-home parents, some are retired, but whatever your vocation is, I think probably God is using pieces of that vocation to disciple you, to make you more like Christ. And so it's no surprise then that that's true for preachers as well. And, uh, you know, anybody who has ever taught anything knows that really you learn way more when you teach and, um, you have to internalize it at a deeper level. Uh, just the fact that I get to study scripture for hours and hours every week, you know, um, uh, this year I've been recently using a touchscreen, uh, uh, monitor sometimes when I preach to try to highlight different connections in the text. You know, I'll underline keywords that are related and use different colors to help match it up. And it's, it's been kind of fun. I don't do it all the time, but, but when I do it, it, it's kind of fun. And what I've realized with it is that, you know, people will say to me, man, that's so cool how you saw that. And what I tell them is, well, I'm only trying to bring out what I think you would see if you had the time to see it. Right. And I've been blessed as a preacher. I get the time like this is 
right? I know some of the folks listening to this, they're bivocational. They don't have as much time. Average Christians who are you know, grinding away in their life and their job and their career, they're trying to spend time with the Lord. They don't have the extended time that I have to, to study and to prepare. And so I'm just so grateful for how the Lord uses his word to shape me. And, and part of it comes out of a conviction that I, I need to try to internalize what God is saying to me before I preach it to others. Now, if you're preaching 30, 40, 45 times a year, I don't know that you could ever perfectly apply everything you're going to preach, right? There's always a sense you have as a preacher of like, am I a hypocrite? Am I a phony? Like, I don't live it probably to the level I'm trying to call us to live it. Mm -hmm. Now, the key on hypocrisy, hypocrisy isn't that you fail to do what you say you should do. Hypocrisy is when you act like you don't fail to do it. Right, that's the problem. If if as preachers we start to act like we got it all wired when we know we don't, that's hypocrisy. Anyway, so th- there's a verse in Ezra chapter seven, verse ten. It says that Ezra set his heart to study the scripture, to practice it, and then to teach it. And that has been a model. That's been a paradigm for me. So I think if if as a preacher you approach this as okay, I've got these sermons to prepare, I've got this scripture to study, I'm going to study it. I'm going to try to practice it in my own life, uh, have God wrestle with me on this, and then I'm going to deliver it. I think if you do that over time, you'll just find, man, that is one of the sweetest ways that God disciples you. And so much of the time I'm preaching to other people, but I'm really just preaching to me, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I do have times, even on a Sunday, where as I get up, you know, before I go up to prepare or to preach, I'm, I'm praying like, Lord, I believe this, but help my unbelief. Would you actually use my preaching of this to help me believe it? And, uh, and he, he's gracious, and he often does. When it comes to preaching is one of the main ways God disciples the preacher, are there ways that God has used people in your life to say, hey, you could grow in this area? Or are there ways that God has uh, used this core conviction to help you grow deeper with him in maybe a season where it felt like you were a little bit more um, distant or away from him? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember a time... Uh, I was preaching toward the end of the year about how to have a great year. And um, one of the things that I brought up was, you know, what's your plan then this coming year for really connecting with the Lord, you know, personally. And as I was saying that, and in the subsequent weeks, I felt the Lord gently tapping on my shoulder saying, yeah, Luke, what is your plan for that? And I realized that a lot of my own private devotional time had gotten eaten up by other things. And I said, you know, I got to prioritize that again. And so that's a, a specific instance. Mm-hmm. At a more general level, I think one of the things that um, that preaching regularly does is it uh, forces me to tidy up things relationally. Like I think especially with my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. They're going to sit there and listen to me. And if there's a rift between us and if there's some un, unfinished, unresolved tension, it's going to not be good. You know, and so there is a sense in which I think that's one of the graces of preaching is that at least again, if you take integrity seriously, which I'm trying to, is it is this regular, at least weekly invitation to say, am I, am I okay in my most important relationships? Like, am I in a good place? Are we reconciled? Because I want to, I want to walk with integrity and I don't want, you know, I don't want my kids having an internal eye roll when they listen to me preach. That was number three. And then we move to, I made a mental note of number four and number five. Number four, most life change happens in the moment, but (laughs) a lot of life change happens over the long haul. 
too. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times preachers will make a big deal about how much of your sermon did people remember? And I just don't ever feel that pressure. I don't care. Like if they remember something great, like I'm not against it. I would never be like, make your sermons unmemorable. But uh, <laughs> like, that's not good. But, but the pressure, like you're going to talk for 30 minutes, 35 minutes, maybe not much longer than that. But like, even if you only talked for 20 minutes, are people going to remember everything you said in those 20 minutes? No. Hopefully they might remember one thing, but my point in, in that first one of most life change happens in the moment is that usually it's like, uh, it's an aha. It's a, the spirit convicts. It's an illustration lands and you see something in a fresh way. It's that sense that you have of, Oh my goodness. I feel like I was the only one in the room or did somebody tell him about what's going on in my life? You know, like people will, will say stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And and that to me is like, it's those life-changing moments. It's the conviction. It's the impressions. It's the thing that happens in the moment. And I think that a lot of the life change happens in that sense, right? And so in that sense, anyone listening, right? If someone comes to church 40 times a year, mm -hmm. which that would be great if mm -hmm. people came to church that often, but say they did and they listened to 40 sermons, I wouldn't expect that every week would be oh, life-changing. Oh, life-changing. Like that sounds like, I don't think that's likely. It might be once a year. It might be three times a year, but that you really have like a, whoa, like paradigm shifting, a phrase that stuck, something that made sense. What's crazy to me about it is so often when people articulate to me the life-changing thing I said, I don't remember saying that. And sometimes I'm like, I know for sure I didn't say that. And what that tells me is what is actually changing their life is the work of the spirit applying something to them in some really cool way. So that that's the idea there. On the other hand, so much of how I was formed, especially as a young Christian, was by listening to good, consistent preaching from my pastor, Mike Shea, at Community Evangelical Free Church in Champaign, Illinois, 120 people or so. And, and the way he would preach the Bible taught me to study the Bible. And the vision he had for the glory of God gave me a vision for the glory of God. And his understanding of what it was to be a church on mission. Like I realized so much of the stuff I'm now fluent in as a newish Christian was being spoken all around me through the week in mm -hmm. week out preaching. And so uh, in that sense, I go, okay, a lot of life change happens over the long haul too. It's one of the reasons why, you know, as I use that touchscreen from time to time, sometimes it's to provide a, ah, like, wow, right. Boom, look at this. Other times it's just to show people, this is how you study the Bible. And so, um, I don't want to, I don't want to overdo like, man, I got to come up with this decisive thing that's going to change. And I don't want to neglect that. Like, yeah, it's going to be the consistent normal rhythm. Um, but mostly I just go, I don't feel the, I don't feel the pressure to try to have everyone have a life changing experience every time I want it to be good. I want to preach the word. I want to get excited about the most important things. And then I'm going to trust the Lord with the results. Well, that's a particular thing for you. Season one, uh, we had an episode where we talked about preaching through Easter and Christmas. And it's well documented in that episode that you, for the longest time, did not like preaching through Christmas or a Christmas Eve message uh, more specifically. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it, it was. I, I remember talking to a mentor and saying, yeah. I know there's all these people coming, but I, I'm not that excited about preaching on this. And he said, well, here's why. He said, I, I think it's because you're a teacher and you do love it when people have an aha moment. 
And um, all the pomp and circumstance of those holidays makes aha moments really hard. So quit aiming at trying to make everyone have an aha moment. You, you put too much pressure on yourself. You try to be overly creative. You try, you, you know, it, it starts blending into being corny. Like just be you, give a good faithful message and trust that God will use it. Cause really the main thing you want on those holidays is for people to come back. You know, if they have a good enough experience with the whole thing, maybe they'll come back and over time they'll have an aha moment. What I hear you saying there is you can't hit a home run every single message. No. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I don't think, yeah, you can't and you shouldn't be disappointed that you can't, you know, I'll often on a Sunday, Molly will say, how do you think it went? And I said, well, I think we moved the chain, right? And I have a sports background. So I go, you know, well, you can move the chains with a 45 yard bomb down the sideline, or you can move the chains with a four yard run up the middle. Um, what matters is you keep moving the chains, right? And, and that is the reality, right? If this is a one-time conference sermon, maybe it's like, I got to knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, because I don't think that's how it works. I'm okay with it going, hey, we move the chains. You know, and uh, this was a, something that one of the guys in the preaching lab that I, that I led pointed out is he said, you know, when you're preaching through books of the Bible, there's a lot of passages that don't really lend themselves to home run, <laughs> right? Like, right? Like one of the advantages of preaching more topical series is you could self-select home run passages all the time. You know, the downside of that is there's this thing called the whole counsel of God that you might never get to, you know? So I would rather move the chains hit singles, hit a double, occasionally hit a home run through the whole counsel of God and just keep moving and, and trust that the Lord will use that to grow people. I think that's helpful to hear almost permission not to phone it in. That's not even close to what we're saying, but permission to allow the text to speak, allow the text to say what it needs to say. And not every text is necessarily going to equal into that moment of aha, but over the long haul, God can use it and God will use it. I remember that um, after I had, I, I spent years in the church and I got let go and it was really, really difficult. Um, super, super hard for me to, to process. And I was trying to reconcile what my thoughts were about uh, church leadership and what my thoughts were about the church. Looking back on all of the stuff that I was going through and processing, I realized now that I had to reconstruct my view of the church into what God ultimately says the church is meant to be, not deconstruct my faith or what I believe about the church. God has already said what's true about the church, and I had to reconstruct my belief in that truth. But through that process, I had just been, I like, I don't want to become bitter. I don't want to become sour. I don't want to become a negative voice. I love Jesus. I love his word. I love the spirit. God's inside of me it probably took a good eight to 16 months for me to figure out yeah. and just time with the Lord and attending church. And I don't know if there was a moment where any of the messages said what ultimately I felt the spirit say to me, I was feeling this huge pressure after being a pastor on a church to have this sports metaphor, batting 400 faith, right? Not even batting 400, batting a thousand faith. And that pressure was so intense that I was like, can't, is it okay for me to just bat a hundred? Like, can I just bat a hundred right now and just show up and take the reps? And, and the way God spoke it to me through the spirit was, look, we'll just build this thing back up one brick at a time. Like one moment, 
one brick, yep. one truth at a time, and we will reconstruct what it is to walk and be with me. And that life change happened over, like I said, over a year. And yeah. I'm still, you know, sure. going back and I'm in a much better place than I was now, but that life change did not happen in a home run message. I don't even, maybe the preacher said it, maybe the preacher didn't say it, yep. but I do know that God did it over a long haul and like, praise God, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's, well, and this isn't exactly the point of of this whole ABCs thing, but I just want to say, because so many of us are navigating people who are going through yeah. church hurt and deconstruction questions. And and part of why I think your faith was, has been able to be reconstructed is because you were able to be honest about where it was. Yeah. Instead of pretending it was somewhere else, yeah. you were honest about where it is. I, I know a pastor who says, you should never be honest. You're not, not be honest. You should never tell people your weaknesses because no one wants to learn to hit from a from a 100 hitter. <laughs> well, okay, but that to me sounds like a recipe for phoniness and a recipe for once it starts to crumble, it's all going to collapse. But your ability to be honest and to let God over time shape your heart. I also, you know, just increasingly I I heard someone recently say, you know, everybody's fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Well, if that's true and I'm preaching to however many people on a Sunday, I couldn't possibly have the wisdom to apply everything exactly to the battle that they're fighting that I don't know anything about. But that's the miracle of preaching is <laughs> sometimes uh, like probably every week someone has an aha, uh-huh, mm-hmm. but not everyone. And a lot of weeks, like a lot of people are just kind of plugging away and, you know, and I go, I just want to keep them engaged. I want to keep them, you know, there, there's a couple of boys that sit in front of my wife uh, on Sunday and they're like probably in sixth grade or seventh grade. And there was one day where one of them was like literally laying down, (laughs) (laughs) just just laid down. You know, we've got, uh, you know, kind of padded chairs that you could lay down, you know, you could, if you wanted to. And so he, he just was not even trying. Right. (laughs) And, uh, and so the next week I, I went to him at the kind of meet and greet time. And I said, Hey man, I have one goal today and it's for you to, stay interested during this whole sermon that's my only goal well of course that helped him be a little more interested <laughs> you know like knowing that he was caught sleeping you know but i go if people are paying attention if people are listening i just trust the lord will work through it it is a miracle how the spirit works um that way it's unexplainable yeah it's um you can't reconcile it other than to just say it's god doing what god does it's those mornings back when i was um doing music and we just blew it. Like it just wasn't good. There wasn't good rhythm. There was, it just, it just felt off. And then someone comes up to you and just tells you what God did during that moment. And you're like, that's awesome. Yeah. And then the moments when you feel like, I mean, sometimes people will say something, but like when you feel like, man, this was a home run, this was like, this was awesome. Do y'all, do y'all see like we gelled, we stayed with the click track and it's just silence and you're kind of like, well, you know, I can recognize it was good, but let the spirit do what spirit wants to do. So, yeah. Oh, it's true. Um, okay. So that was most life change happens in the moment, but a lot of life change happens over the long haul too. I want to really key in here on these last two. Number nine is preaching improves with reps and feedback. And I remember asking you 
several years ago, I was actually interviewing you for a project that I was working on. In my mind, I had always thought that pastors don't get feedback because they're afraid. I mean, not pastors, but in this context, pastors, anybody, you're afraid to ask for feedback because you're afraid of what the truth is. And you said, "Eh, that might be some people, but really a lot of times it's just because you don't know who to ask. It's like, I don't, I don't know who I should go to. So this one intrigues me for that reason. And then, then we'll get to number 10, but preaching improves with reps and feedback. Yeah. I mean, someone might listen to what we just talked about. Hey, don't have to hit a home run and go, Oh, good. Uh, which is good. And they might hear that and go, well, cool. I'll just wing it then. And, uh, and I'll just hit a single, just preach the gospel. And it's like, I mean, maybe if you're playing little league, like maybe you could wing it and, you know, not practice very much and still get singles. But, you know, NFL teams work very, very hard to move the chains, mm-hmm. right? There's lots of possessions where they don't move the chains. And I think you can't just assume, well, I'll just wing it and hit a single every week. Like, yeah, I don't know that you actually will. So, so this is saying, okay, I want to improve. I want to grow. Well, there's two ways to do it. One is you need a lot of reps. Tim Keller famously said, uh, your first 200 sermons, no matter what, are going to (laughs) stink. So, uh, you know, I remember talking to my aunt and I told her that and she lives in another state. She said, well, tell me after you've hit 200. So that's (laughs) when I'll come visit the church. Um, And his point with that was to say, instead of spending 25 hours sermon prepping, what if you spent 10 hours and you spent the other 15 with people? Because the extra 15 hours of prep, you're not going to be any better because your first 200 sermons stink. So on one hand, you just need reps, right? Uh, we did this summer. It was really fun. We did a training day where we have three services on Sunday and we had a developing young leader. Eat, you know, One of them took each of the Sunday sermons. So one guy preached at nine, one guy preached at 1045, one guy preached at four, and we gave him feedback and we gave him, and, and that was a good experience. They're not going to get a great deal better without a lot more practice, right? So I told him, all right, you get invited to a nursing home to do a Bible study, you say yes. You get invited to do a high school football chapel, you say yes. You get invited to come speak at it, like just say yes to anything when you're a young developing preacher because you just need reps. At the same time, you really develop not just with reps, but with feedback, with evaluated reps, right? Everyone grew up hearing practice makes perfect. That's not really true. Practice just makes permanent. Uh, it's it's evaluated reps. It's um, it's reps with coaching. Reps with hey, why don't you try this? Hey, do you notice you do that? And um, like you said, very few preachers get that. At, at most, we get uh, hey, pastor, that was a great sermon, or um, an email where someone's complaining about something. But like, what do we really? We don't hear much mm-hmm. and, and we don't want to burden people in the church. Like it, it, once you start listening, like a critic, it's hard to turn that off. I don't want to make, I don't want to do a bunch of that. Right. So, how, but how do you get feedback? How do you get reps to make it worse? None of us likes to hear ourselves or watch ourselves. So the self feedback we could give, we're often resistant to, cause it's like, eh, I don't like this. Like, mm-hmm. so we got to get over that. But really, I mean, that, that's a lot of what has been so fun about the Preaching Lab is to be able to give feedback. You know, the, the last week of the Preaching Lab, I don't know if we'll do this again in the future, but I told the guys, I said, hey, I want you to evaluate one of my sermons. Like, I can take the medicine too. And they brought up some stuff that I went, I hadn't noticed that. And so having experienced people 
who care about you and love you and know what they're talking about and can actually give you detailed feedback to help you improve. Because if you improve just a percent or 2%, man, that over time, that makes a huge difference. So yeah, I, I think we need reps and we need evaluated reps. Most preaching is underwhelming as your 10th ABC. Let's get into that. What I have in mind here is um, it, it's just very easy to skim the surface. I mean, most of the preachers I listen to, I listen to them because they're great preachers. Mm -hmm. So I don't hear gobs of bad preaching because I, why would I waste my time? And I also think, why would anyone else waste their time with a bad preacher? So it's like, why we got to get better? You know, my experience on that sabbatical was, was largely hearing stuff that, you know, I, well, yeah, I just read, I read it. That's what it says. Like, but there wasn't a lot of insight. There wasn't a lot of application. There wasn't much illustration to help it go deeper. Um, I I actually have a framework when it comes to writing. And I think there's a a crossover here of what you were looking for. You said insight. There's four that I go after insight, inspiration, information, and instruction. And if you hit two of those and make sure that it's not information and instruction, uh, that's really a recipe for compelling narrative or compelling content. But uh, just those are the four things that I look for. And those are the four things that I want to hear because that really is what ultimately makes motivating. Yeah. I mean, if your sermon more or less sounds like what chat GPT would have come up with, right? Like it, you got to do a little more work. Right. And and so that, that to me is the thing is not enough time studying, not enough time crafting, not enough time thinking through illustrations, not enough time proving it. I think that's a key thing is a lot of times it's easy as a preacher to assert, but not to prove it. And to think, okay, what would someone who disagrees with this ask? How do I address that objection? How do I go just one notch deeper? I don't think going deep means I have to quote a bunch of Greek words. I don't think it means I need to, you know, fill up my uh, stuff with quotations and references from the church fathers. But I think it's it's thinking at a deeper level, going one more notch, um, because otherwise it's just informational or it's just emotional. But the most compelling sermons um, are insightful, they're inspiring, and they engage you the whole way because, and usually they engage you the whole way because of the, the way the illustrations keep you hooked in. And so it's just a little bit more attention and time uh, spent in the crafting. And I think that takes it from being underwhelming to being consistently strong. You use your mind all day, every day in ministry and in preaching and studying And so one of the things you have said you enjoy doing at the end of the day is to do something with your hands. And so you've gotten into the cooking Uh uh, world and um, have a Blackstone. I recently got a Blackstone and smash burgers. It's very good. I'm enjoying it. Any Blackstone fans out there or uh, (laughs) griddle fans, uh, send us some love. You use a cooking metaphor. You say, you know, it's gathering ingredients. It's you've got great ingredients with the Bible. Like it's just rich. It's, it's, you know, you describe it as electric Jesus's life. Like it's really, really good content. And so you're gathering the ingredients and you're kind of starting to decide, you know, what are, what am I going to prepare? You decide what you're going to prepare and then you go to cook it. When it's undercooked, you can tell it's undercooked Hmm. and it's, it's not the ingredients, but it's the way that they were put together. And so, I mean, does that, does it ultimately, it comes with that feedback and that critique and that evaluation, people telling you, Hey, this was a little bit under cooked, even if it hurts or stings. Well, and, and it really, I mean, it is hard. And especially because you have other stuff come up in your life and you have 
mean, I do think that, that any creative work, there's an, there's an element of emotional energy you need, not just physical energy. Mm-hmm. And so th- this gets really hard in those thick, deep, hard weeks where it's hard as a family or there's a crisis in the church or you're dealing with big decisions. Um, you know, I, I recently was looking at a passage in first John and it's like, okay, this is really clearly about love one another. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it going, uh, <laughs> this is gonna be a boring sermon. Love one another. Like everyone already knows that everyone already thinks they're good at it. And I didn't have, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And I stared at it and I stared at it and I stared at it. And that cursor was taunting me as it blinked. <laughs> like, you know, and I just had to go, you know what? I'm going to walk away from this and I'm going to come back to it tomorrow. And um, so, you know, sometimes you got to grind through it and just put a little more work. Other times you got to come back and, you know, and I literally went home and took a nap. And so, okay, I'm going to deal with this tomorrow. But it's it's not accepting that I'm just going to say the bland general thing that everybody already knows. I could do that mm-hmm. and be faithful to the text, mm-hmm. but I don't think that would serve the people very well. And I don't think that would facilitate that. That wouldn't move the ball forward. That would right. check the box that technically I preached a biblical sermon, but it wouldn't actually advance people's ability to like, I, I need to think what is getting in the way of them being able to love. Why does everyone think they're good at loving, but actually struggle with it? Taking the extra time to figure out, okay, is there an illustration uh, that really connects with this passage? So that extra work is work and it doesn't always flow easily. And I think because we just get overwhelmed and we get busy, uh, sometimes we let that go. And, And the result over time is it feels like undercooked. I've been taking um, messages and I have been uh, transcribing messages that I find online and I've been spitting them into chat GPT, into AI models. Actually, I'm using one called Claude, Claude 2.0, but into an AI model. And I'm saying, uh, give me a compelling introduction and conclusion. Tell me what the main points are and then identify the key verses and the topics. So you're taking a sermon that's already been preached. A sermon that's already been preached. So this is not to write a sermon. Correct. This what, is more to create tools for after the sermon. Right. To okay. and and I actually I would actually challenge and encourage any pastor, number one, close caption your messages. Get your message messages transcribed. You can go to rev.com, get them transcribed and upload closed captions. I think every single message should have closed captions because a lot of times people will not listen, but they will watch and they will read. And I think that's just an easy way to make your messages more accept uh, um uh not acceptable. Um, accessible. Accessible. Thank you very much. Um, so I think that's a great win. I think getting them uh, transcribed and putting the le- taking clips of your messages and just putting the words over them is a great thing. But one of the areas where I really think um, sermons fall short is in the descriptions, and you and I have talked about this, in the descriptions that we use for the podcast or for the YouTube description or for even the website. It's usually just Pastor Luke preaches a section on First John. And it's like, well, that tells me virtually nothing. And if the if the title is inaccessible, if the title says something like um, what it takes to be more, it's kind of like that tells me almost nothing, right? Um, so if your title talks about what life looks like af- on the other side of the horizon, that gives some information. 
but crafting a good description. So what I've been doing is I've taken uh, these sermons that have already been preached. I said, okay, write a description for me. And they do a very, very good job. The models of AI do a good job of summarizing the content into almost what I would say is tweetable format, right? It gives you an idea, summarizes the main points. Well, what's interesting is some of the some of the messages, I know the preachers and I know um, the passages. And in some cases, I know the sermons because I've listened to them. The ones where I know that the preacher is putting in to make sure that it's cooked, it's almost like ChatGPT doesn't know necessarily how to wrap a really tight bow on it. It's it's a more um, exhaustive introduction and conclusion, and there's a greater length to the key points. Whereas there's a lot of them, and I don't know, the, the messages could be great, but the majority of them are just a, three key points that are fairly general, an introduction that's general and a conclusion that's general. Now that's better than nothing, but it's just interesting to see that even AI struggles to make it gen- general and generic when the content itself has really been cooked and really been slaved over and really been, you know, dealt with. I, yeah. I just think it was an, I've done probably about 200 of them now and it's fairly consistent that it happens that way. Yeah. And I think another application would be sometimes preaching is underwhelming and people aren't able to go as deep on it because they're just preaching too much, right? You can't, how, how, how many times a year can you make a compelling sermon? Like, not 50, uh, maybe not 45, maybe not 40. So figuring that out is a, is a key thing too. The guys over at ministry past friends of ours, um, they've done surveys and it's like, I think it was like over half. We talked about it, um, in one of our season one episodes, but I think it was like over half of the people are preaching like 48 to 52 sermons a year. And it's, it's just too much. Like you, you can't be good that many times a year like it's it yeah and and the hard part too is it it makes it where not only is your preaching suffer but your leadership yes yeah. the, the church suffers because of all the time you don't have for other stuff there so you know finding that sweet spot where you have enough time to work on the church and enough time to really give good intentional well-cooked meals to the to the preaching. That's a big deal. I really appreciated the first time I ever heard you go deep on these ABCs to me, the idea of having like, no, this is what I believe. These are the values that I want to hold to as a way of growing a way of processing and a way of challenging. I think it's a great mechanism for ultimately becoming a better preacher and being a better steward of the time that you're given. Cause that's a great gift. 30 to 40 minutes of undivided attention from adults, that's an incredible gift that every corporation in America, in the world, wishes they could have. So to be better with that time mm-hmm. seems like a no-brainer, and ABCs can help you get that way. Yeah, and that's why I would just encourage anyone listening to think through what are yours. Mm-hmm. You know, we have ours, but yeah, what what would you add or what would you uh, say instead? You know, having the conviction about it uh, really matters. You're gonna you're going to preach out of what your actual convictions are. Sometimes it's worth writing them down. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Again, Preaching Through Podcast Season 2. This is Episode 2. It was a lot of fun to go through and just identify uh, several of these core convictions. If you have any feedback, if you have any questions, any follow-up, you can reach out to either of us at info at faithfulandfruitful.com. We would love to hear from you in the same way that we heard from you know, one of our friends on Twitter saying, hey, do preaching through your first year uh, at a new 
church or first year of uh, preaching, that would be a fantastic thing to hear from you. What could we help you with? If there's any follow-up to this episode or if you've got some ABCs and you'd like to have Luke take a look at them, info at faithfulandfruitful.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you would be so kind, you can leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or over on Spotify. That'll do a great service to helping other preachers and other pastors find this podcast and hopefully uh, take a seat at the table and, and find some encouragement and some challenge as well. And ultimately, that's what we want to be is just one voice of encouragement. We hope that you are finding community. We hope that you are finding just relationships uh, with other preachers, other pastors, other ministry leaders to help challenge you and grow. And if we can be a part of those voices, um, that would just be tops for us. Uh, Luke, really excited. The next episode, we're going to be talking about preaching through weddings and funerals. And man, I was terrified the first time that I was told you need to be the preacher for this wedding. And it was something that my pastor said that just calmed my nerves. I'm going to leave it right there. Oh man, I can't wait to hear. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to hear from you and we can't wait to be back again. Uh, Take care. And uh, yeah, next episode, Preaching Through Weddings and Funerals.